Turn in your Bible with me to Song of Solomon, chapter two. I am extremely excited about this word because it is something that is in my bones. My main point today, I'm going to take the entire time to drive this main point home, and it is this. Experiencing God is not an option. We cannot take experience out of our relationship with God any more than I could reduce my marriage to a photo. What does that mean? It means I'm not married to a picture. I'm married to a person. I hear her. I see her. I experience her. That's relationship. That's how I've come to know her through the enjoyment of her. I do not have a relationship with a picture. And I believe that this is the main problem in Christianity today, is that we've reduced God to a photo, to a picture, and we've removed experience. We've reduced him to this. And I believe men set themselves against the experience of God when they're more loyal to their idea of God than the actual person of God. It is so important that experience is not just a part of our life, but the source of our life in God. You know, there's a, there's a, a phrase people like to say, you can't live by experience. I flip it around and say, without experience, you don't live. It's the experience of God that changes your information into revelation. It's the experience of God that causes it to drop from the brain to the blood. The experience of God is non-negotiable. So due to the fact that God is all-sufficient, there are many allegories in the scriptures that are pointed to emphasize certain things of his vast being. What do I mean? I mean, for instance, you have a farmer in the scriptures. You have you have also athletes and soldier. You have sons. You have slaves. You have you have friends. You have field. You have seed. You have children. You have brother. But when you get to bride, you get to the one that is most emphasizing experience. When you get to bride, you enter into the realm of love and love is above all experience praise God see the bride is the last picture of the church in Revelation chapter 22 the last thing we're called is the bride Paul calls this relationship of Christ and the church the bride and the bridegroom he calls it the great mystery it is the wonderful mystery of the gospel. John the Baptist called Jesus the bridegroom. Jesus calls himself the bridegroom. This understanding of Christ as the one loved and lover is so important for us because this is the world of experiencing God's love. You say, Eric, that's your, that's your point today? Yes, absolutely. I believe that Song of Solomon reveals to us God's intended and desired relationship with every single one of us. A love exchange, a romance, a dance, a movement together in step with God by love. 
I think this is so important. Hudson Taylor once wrote in his classic Union and Communion, he said, Song of Solomon is the divine warrant for, the desire for, sensible manifestations of God's love. <clears throat> you say, what, can you say that again? Okay. It is the divine warrant for, the desire for, sensible manifestations of God's love. Charles Spurgeon wrote, we see Christ's face on nearly every page, but when we get to Song of Solomon, we see his heart. This is what I want to emphasize today. Experiencing God is not an option. Experiencing God is the lifeblood of Christianity. The Bible tells us that, that it is, this is eternal life, the knowing of God, the knowing. It is a relational, interactive exchange of vibrant taste, touch, experience, sensible. God makes himself audible, tangible, edible for us that we might receive and imbibe his being and become one with him. God became man that he might dispense himself into men. This is the glory of relationship with God. Song of Solomon chapter two, the scripture talks about this relationship she has. She says, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. In his shade, I took great delight and I sat down. You see, this is experience. This is relationship. His fruit was sweet to my taste. This is experience, experience, experience. He has brought me into his banqueting hall and his banner over me is love. Look at this. Sustain me with raisin cakes. Refresh me with apples because I am lovesick. Let his left hand be under my head and his right hand embrace me. In the midst of this entire book that Charles Spurgeon says is a glimpse into Jesus' heart, in this book, there's one word that really stands out to me. It seems to be in a category all by itself, and it is this word, love sick. This word does not belong to Shakespeare. It was written far before him. Love sick is written by God for us to realize something. Love sickness, this, this desired love, this love exchange, this longing for God is God's chosen description for the relationship between the bridegroom and the bride, you and him, a love relationship. I don't know another word like this word. It, it actually is almost a, a picture. The word itself, love sick, it provokes feeling. There's something about this word that is a mesh between two completely opposite realities, sickness and affection. <laughs> Emerge together. It's almost a hyperbole. Something physical, something emotional. She says, I am lovesick. It is a state of being altered by love. Praise God. This lovesickness is, has its height in experiencing God, a lovesickness with God. See, he's seeking, I believe, to exp express the highest kind of love there is. It is this lovesickness is to be so taken with affection that you're so deeply affected. This is what happened to you. And this is what happened to me when that great light of the gospel broke into our souls and we saw for the first time, we heard for the first time, we could think for the first time and we could breathe for the first time. This is what began in our lives, a love relationship with God by receiving deliverance from sin and the life of God placed on the inside of us. This is the lovesickness when it began. The early church has a word that they, a phrase that they coined, 
And it, it is this, the wound of love, the wound of love. They're trying to explain this feeling of deep love for God from the reception of God's love, a wound of love. It's almost giving you a picture of an internal bleeding of the heart that has been gashed by God. You've been direct contact with God has cut you open and now you bleed. That is the wound of love. You feel a a sense of vulnerability that you have to stay near him for safety. A, a, A damage so deep that you can't even return to the strength of self. You, you become so deeply dependent upon him. Isn't this exactly what happened to you? When you got born again and the love of God bathed you and you were dipped in God and that quote liquid love as Charles Finney would say, baptized your being and you began to love God. Something began in your life and I believe with all my heart that this is exactly the essence of the experience of what God is wanting for us to live in. It's ineffable. It's an ineffable experience so severe that it it actually renders us helpless. When you first experienced the greatness of God's love, did you not throw yourself at his feet helpless? I'm sure you did. Because that's the result of the real power of God's love. It throws you down at his feet and say, I can't, I got nothing, Lord, I need you. The essence of true love. This love sickness, I feel like it, it makes us say, I need you so bad, God, because I'm so deeply in love with you. I don't just love you. I need you, and I need you because I love you, and I love you because I need you. They're merged together. There's an old writing that says, oh, sweetness of beauty everlasting, you have wounded my heart, and I'm scarcely alive, for I die in the face of your joys. I linger in heavenly savors, transports of total ecstasy, written by Richard Raleigh. He's trying to explain what happened to you and what happened to me that day. The gospel broke our hearts. The gospel caused us to begin to love God for the first time. We love him because his gospel revealed his love for us. Praise God. King David took a shot at explaining the sickness of love when he said, my soul pines for you, God. St. Teresa of Avila tried to explain what David wrote when he said, my soul pines for you. And she says, my soul suffers out of desire for you. I want you so bad, God. You know, this burning on the inside, this is that love sickness. And I believe this is what not just began by the gospel, but should be the gospel life, a life of longing for God. I want you so bad, God. Everything inside of me burns for you. King David also wrote of his longing in detail. He says, my heart and my flesh are crying out for you. A burning for God. I long for you so bad, Lord. David Brainerd writes in his journal, oh, this pleasing pain, it makes my soul thirst for God. A pleasing pain. I believe that this is what God wants to restore in some of our lives here that once knew this, but don't know it anymore. I believe God wants to reinstall the lover's ache. That burning on the inside, that heartbeat is a pleasurable aching and longing for love exchange with him. I know you remember when these things first began. Maybe there's some of you still living in that blissful wonder of him above trial and above temptation and above those pressures of the world. Though they're there, the love sickness causes you to lay in his arms even in the midst of the greatest storms. 
I know some of you in this room are living that way, but maybe you're here and you've never known this, or maybe you're here and you used to know this. I believe that that's why God put this mic in my hand today to call you back into sweet love exchange with God. I believe with all my heart that this, this love sickness was began by the gospel. And what is the gospel? I would define the gospel as this, the kiss of God. The gospel is the application of God's love to your heart by his spirit and his word. And that to me is the best explanation of the kiss of God. In the very beginning of Song of Solomon, chapter one, she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Chapter two, she's sick with love. It's an infection caught by a kiss, an infection of affection caught by a kiss. And that kiss is the wonderful gospel, the manifestation and application of God's love to your soul. It says the kisses of his mouth, not just one kiss, it's kisses. It's like you were lost before his kiss and now you're lost without his kisses. His kiss made you alive and now you live by the kisses of his love. This is the gospel life. I believe with all my heart that this is so important for us to live in the blissful exchange with God that the blood of the cross opened for us to have a life exchange with him. You know, it says the kisses of his mouth, from the mouth comes breath, from the mouth comes words. And I believe that's the essence of what his kiss, the application of his love is, the presence of his spirit and the word of God. You say, Eric, I don't know the kisses of God. Well, maybe you do, but you haven't defined it as that. Maybe when you get up in the morning and it's early and you sit there with God and you let your heart go up to him, you begin to sense the sweetness of his presence. You open up the scriptures and they're like bursting grapes on your mouth and you feel God speaking to me. That's the kisses of God that creates love in the heart. It's the kiss that is so important for us. I believe that the kiss is what is missing in Christianity. I once said to the Lord, I said, Lord, something's missing, thinking of Christianity. I said, Lord, something's missing. And he said, what's missing is the kissing. The reality of God experienced. See, after you were first kissed by God, you know that you became his captive. A love subjugation. A kiss that was so deep inside of your heart that you wanted nothing else but more of him. Gordon Fee wrote, when the spirit of God comes upon you, divine perfection does not set in, but divine infection does. God begins his work. This is what it means in Romans 5.5. 5. The love of God is bursting, gushing, shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. The presence of God is that reality of his love. It creates inside of us a, a longing for solitude. Even as she goes on to say here, she says, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret place of the steep pathway, let me see your form, let me hear your voice. Or he says this to her, for your voice is sweet and your form is lovely. It's a vulnerability. I long to be alone with you, to be vulnerable with you and experience and enjoy love relationship with you. This is what happens when the gospel comes in. And you know this because you got born again and this all began in your life. And I thank God for it. There's a, there's a story of A.W. Tozer was asked by a young college student. He says, I'm about to go into seminary and I, I was asking if you had any advice for me. And Tozer looks at him and he says, when you get there, they're gonna be talking about Calvinism. 
They're going to be talking about Arminianism, Molinism. They're going to be talking about cessationism. They're going to be arguing. One hits his Bible, hits one with the Bible. The other one hits the other one with the Bible. He says, but you, you go to your room and you shut the door and you get to know God. And when the term is over, you'll know God and they'll still be talking. You say, Eric, what are you saying? And Tozer was trying to get this kid to realize that every lull throughout the day is an invitation to come away. Lovers love to be alone. They instinctively seek retreat, a retreat in which no other voice is heard and no other face is seen. The kiss, what is it? It's the application of God's love to your heart by the breath of his spirit and the word of his mouth, praise God. You know, I once was tucking my daughter in to sleep. She was a toddler at this time. She's way older now. And I was trying to kiss her on the, you know, all over just to make her laugh. And she stopped me with her hand like this. And I said to her, you know, if you don't let me kiss you, there's no way for you to love me. Just joking with her. And when I said that statement, I felt the Lord say this statement to me. And he said, Eric, if you don't let me kiss you, there's no way for you to love me. If you don't go into that place of surrender to the love of God and his presence and his voice and the sweetness of the gospel reality, if we don't yield into that, it affects our love relationship with God because he plants kisses on your soul like seeds, the bloom and blossom of which is the fruit of the spirit. This is how he works in us. The kiss, it's a direct experience with God. You see, today we have more Bible schools than any other country. We have more Bibles than any other time in history, more theologians than any other time in history. We have YouTube with scriptures being taught, all that podcasts upon the script. But the eye still of the church is not single. What's the problem? Why? It's because we can't just define. We need love better than wine. We need something more real to us. We can't reduce him to a text. We must pass through the text to the person. Tozer writes, the Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men into an intimate and satisfying knowing of God that they may enter into him, that they may delight in his presence, may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself and the core and center of their hearts to know God, to experience God, to pass through the text and find God. The spirit was sent to get it all out of the book and into your life through the kisses of God. See, we can't just know about God. We've got to know God and the experience of his love, that real subjective, vibrant, taste, touch, melting experience of his love. That's how we come to know God. It's, in the, it's the kiss, I believe, that creates the bride. It's only the kiss that can create a singled eye. His kiss is your cure. His kiss is your call. His kiss can cure your evil and bring you to his bliss and give you him for whom you sigh, Jesus, your sweetness. It's the kiss, it's the reality of his presence that burns in us and makes us different. How many problems can be solved by just having a sweet morning kiss? How many problems are started because we have not yet yielded to the sweet experience of God's presence? How many unnecessaries have been started in our lives because we didn't yield to the experience of God and enter into what has been purchased for us? 
How often have we neglected the great delicacies of God's character and nature to be meditated on, the attributes to be feasted on? How often have we neglected these things and then found worry and fear moving in our lives? There's a writing here by Maurice Roberts. He says, ecstasy and delight are essential to the believer's soul. They promote sanctification. We are not meant to live without spiritual exhilaration. And the Christian who goes for a long time without the experience of heartwarming will soon find himself tempted to have his emotions satisfied from earthly things and not as he ought from the spirit of God. The soul is so constituted that it craves fulfillment from things outside itself and will embrace earthly joys for satisfaction when it cannot reach spiritual ones. The believer is in spiritual danger if he allows himself to go for any length of time without tasting the love of Christ and savoring the felt comfort of the Savior's presence. When Christ ceases to fill the heart with satisfaction, our souls will go in silent search of other lovers. Eric, what are you saying? Experiencing God's not an option. The experience of God means what you have is real. And it's not just signing on the dotted line saying this is now what I give nominal mental assent to. Do you feel him? Do you believe him? Is he burning through your being? Can you say it's like fire shut up in my bones? Can you say I believe and therefore I have received joy unspeakable and full of glory? Do you know a peace that passes beyond the ability to be understood? That means what you have is real. The experience of God. There's no, there's no, there's no replacement for it. Because it's his person. And he has come that we might know him and walk with him. I'm going to push down because I'm running out of time. But this direct contact with God is so important. I, I just feel in my heart like the devil's main goal. The devil's main goal is to blind you from seeing the glories of this man, Christ Jesus. Not not to blind you from having looked at them in the text, but passing into spiritual sight, perception, receiving by seeing the experience of his presence. So I guess this is my question. The band can come up if they want. When was your last kiss? When was the last time You sat down with God. I'm not talking about the kiss that happens in the public place. I'm talking about the kiss that happens in private. When no one can see you and the door is closed and your heavenly father sees what's done in secret. When was the last time you sat down and you gave yourself over to the sweetness of his presence and you opened up the word and let him kiss you with the kisses of his word and he touched your life and he began to change you and alter you. When was your last kiss? If anybody in this room came to me for counsel, said, this is my situation, will you help me? My first question would be, when was your last kiss? Say, Eric, what's your point today? Uh, My point is this. If you say you're struggling, you're struggling with something, I tell you, his kiss is your cure. You say, Eric, but uh, I don't know what to do with my life. His kiss is your call. (laughs) He said, Eric, but I'm dealing with all kinds of difficulties in my life. His kiss is the bliss of life, no matter what's going on in your life. 
Say, Eric, what's the point? I hear it, but how do I do it? Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're like, I get it, I'm convinced. But how do I do it? How do I get it? How do I experience it? It's found right there in the very first words of Song of Solomon. Let him kiss you. Let him. It's yield. It's give up. It's put everything else away and say, Thou, O Christ, art all I want and more than all in thee I find. I wonder if you stand with me today. I wonder if you let the word of the Lord just kind of sink deep into your belly. Just put your hand on your stomach with me. Let's pray this together. Say, God, thank you for Jesus who gives me perfect acceptance. And thank you for the Holy Spirit who makes you real to me, who causes me to see, sense, and know I yield myself to him. I recognize I need his help. I can't make anything happen. I can only lay down in your arms and say, kiss me, Lord, with your sweet presence and your tender word. Draw me and I'll run after you in your precious name. Jesus' name, amen.